And now, a real story from a real soldier. It's the Soldier Stories Podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Podcast Soldier. This week's Soldier Story begins. It is time for the Soldier Stories Podcast Part 2. Today, we are talking with Ken Corey of the United States Air Force. And uh, Ken just told us in the last podcast about his first deployment uh, to Iraq. We covered a little bit of the transition of coming back that first time. And you said it wasn't too difficult of a transition for you on that first time. Yeah, yeah. It was It was nice to leave. I'll tell you that. We were waiting and waiting to get out of there, and we finally got on a C-17. They came in with C-17 and got us out of there, and they played uh, Sweet Home Alabama <laughs> on the plane. I was like, and we're like, yeah, we're going home. It's going to be great. And they're like, didn't they all die on a plane crash? We're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, ah. that's bad timing. <laughs> like, I don't care. We're getting out of here. We survived this. We'll survive getting home. You know? Do you remember the, uh, I don't know, the first time the air didn't feel so hot and dry? Was it did you was it a sensation that you can remember an experience you can remember? No, I I can't remember. I'm t- you know because I the thing I do remember though coming home and not that hot and dry is you know you see you get out in the airport at Atlanta and or it's like there's like all these people there you know and it's, it was it was eye opening and it was there's actual like females that you can look at <laughs> not that it is what it is but it was yeah that's that's what it was it's I mean, a big difference it is it was it was nice being home and everybody welcoming you coming back home you know well that was nice the cheers that we got you know coming off the plane and stuff so you know the first moment though that I did realize that I was back in America was actually you know that really hit me and was like I'm home was I smelled a skunk Oh yeah, dude! It was awesome. So I smelled the skunk. I'm like America, and now wait, 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 wait! wait. Did you just say smelling the skunk felt good? Yes, because it really reminded me I was home, like I was back in the United States. All right, and now I love the smell of skunk. I actually have a skunk hat, and like all this. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, actually. It's an awesome skunk. This is why I love you, dude. This is why I love you. Like. (laughs) You might be the only person inside of my father who says that they love the smell of skunk. Yeah. Literally. I know mm-hmm. two people now. You've just become the number two person that yeah. said that. It's great. Um, that's cool, man. Yeah. So you, you come back from uh, your first deployment. Yep. Uh, you're back on your base in California. Yeah. Now, how long did you get to be there before you were called back for a second deployment? So, I mean, I was so I go back to Beale Air Force Base in California, and I'm there. We transition. We get 14 days uh, to go out and do our uh, leave and um, go home, visit family, all that stuff. And then we come back, and then we go to back to our regular job, which is, you know, area-based defense. Again, uh, you know, protecting our assets, our protection-level resources on the base, and then doing patrol, like being a police officer. So did that for another, um, like, six months, and then we trained up and went to Pakistan. So ended up going to Pakistan. That one was ex- it was different because it was uh it was really like a training mission. So um, with that, uh, it was a bear base. So when I mean bear base, there was nothing there before we got there. Oh, so you guys actually have to kind of like tents were going up. up, like we're sleeping on cots, and we got our like mosquito nets up. We're using the the like the pork crap porta johns that we're using. We're like in a box, and our legs were sticking out, and we could see each other through them. So, there's so you really that. got to know the guys you were serving with, oh, the women yeah. you were serving with. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. bear right. base. Uh, no, like we were eating UGRs in Pakistan, so we were there training with the the pack the Pakistani Air Force, and again. We're providing security for our our um, pilots while they're there training with the uh, packies. So we got to learn how they. How do would kite. you describe the food, the UGRs? Oh my god, they're the worst thing in the <laughs> world. I thought you know, 
I have eaten some bad food, but that is the worst food. It's the Union Group rations, and they are just terrible. I'm telling you, you got to put Tabasco sauce on every inch of everything that you're eating there. Is it like specifically called something, but it tastes nothing like what it's called? Oh, yeah. you're like, is this this is supposed to be chili? Like this doesn't look like chili. I mean, I mean, I guess it looked like red sauce maybe, and there's supposed to be meat in there, but I, I mean, there's like chunks of redness it looked like with no, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and then you got like a brownie which is just i mean that was probably okay is my, you know yeah you had uh, to make the best of it you did and you throw you <laughs> either you throw tabasco on everything or you're adding ketchup that's expired by like five years ago you whatever. know you're not the first person i've had a couple people tell me about the tabasco sauce and you and honestly one of my best friends who was not only in the army he went back and he joined the air force yeah. after uh he or was it Air Force first? He was I don't remember which one he okay. did first. He went to both, but he was telling me about his Tabasco thing, and it actually he used to use so much it messed up his taste buds on his tongue. Oh. I can't eat his food. Yeah. Nobody can eat his food because now he overseasons everything so he can taste it, uh. and the rest of us die from the amount of seasoning he puts on it so he can't eat his food. It's I think that's where I became terrible. to love spicy food now, I'm tell you, because I eat everything hot now. You know, I didn't used to, but uh, do now for sure. You know, and like we used to have Tabasco sauce in our um, MREs, so Meals Ready to Eat, right? So use those Tabasco sauce and put some of that in there. Can Meals Ready to Eat were way better than those UGRs, I'll tell you that. Okay. And then, you know, you have those, so at the end, you know, you got to wash your hands with the little, they give you like a little, uh, like, Kleenex thing with inside your your MRE, and then there's this like piece of gum in there. You think it's for like you know like make your breath smell better, but actually that piece of gum is to actually loosen up your stool, so <laughs> you oh, can go Jesus. poop. Because <laughs> not everybody knows that. Like, I had no, no idea that was a thing. Yeah, there's, so there's that piece of chiclet in there that's like gum, but it's actually to loosen up your stool so you can go to cr- so you can go crap, you know. So you, in other words, that stuff messes up your stomach. and oh, that yeah. gum's got to fix it. Yeah, because otherwise you don't eat that gum, then you're not pooping for a couple days. And then your stomach is all like, oh, wow. (laughs) The things I'm learning about today. So many things. I had no idea. That's it's just another crazy aspect of being a a person in the military that that a lot of civilians don't know. I had no idea that was a thing, man. Right. So now, you know, one of the things we do, we have our VFW, Veterans of Foreign War. We do a how to eat an MRE. Do you still put Tabasco sauce on everything now because you're just used to doing it? You always you need the heat. Not as much as I as I did when I was in, but again, because I can kind of add some spices and flavor to okay. this stuff because there isn't much flavor on anything when you're yeah eating those things. So the Tabasco actually helps with flavor. So with this training <laughs> exercise in Pakistan where you're yeah. eating these delicious meals oh, yeah. and using the bathroom because of this delicious gum. Oh, yeah. That everybody can see you using the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, this, yeah, this doesn't sound like the the best time in the world you had there. But it was a training mission. How long were you in Pakistan doing this? A little over a month was there. So okay, not not for not too terribly long. You know, one of the things I got to do that you know I, I look back and it's like, wow, that was like I didn't think it was like the coolest thing ever for the other person. But again, I wear I carry like a two four or two forty nine, uh, which is a, a saw machine gun, right? And then I got my M sixteen that I I carry along with my M4, right? Well, we're out there with the crew chiefs and we're protecting the planes, right? I don't know if I should be saying that. I'm going to say whatever. Okay. So so we're there and uh, the crew chiefs are like, man, I'm like, as I talked to them, I'm like, hey, can I go sit up in the plane? They're like, can we hold your guns? I'm, I'm like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, no 
problem, man. Like, I carry this thing all the time. Like, here you go. Uh, <laughs> so then I got to go sit up in an F-16 in the cockpit. And I was like, yeah, I'm a fighter pilot. Did you like, get a photo? Yeah, I did. That's good. I got one. That's good. I'll have to send it to I'm you. I'm glad. Like, I'd like to see that. Yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, how many people can say they got to go sit in the cockpit of a fighter plant. It's crazy cool. Yeah. They made sure I didn't have anything in my pockets or anything because if anything fell out, it'd be fob. And then when they're flying their jets up and up in the air, if yeah. a piece comes out, it could, you know, throw off everything. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. But it was so cool. Like, and the person taking my picture wasn't a photographer. So she got like really close, like, and didn't get the whole plane. And I was like, kind of like, oh, because then I took her picture too. And I got everything. I got the whole plane. So right? she's got the awesome picture. Yeah, and, and I you got, got the okay picture. The okay. But I was still in the plane. You're like, still yeah. in it, man. Yeah. Was that like a, was that like a, I don't know, like a childhood giddy moment for you? It was pretty cool. Just so put it that, cool. yeah. It That's was really cool. And then I get to protect these planes all the time, but I don't ever get to be in them or anything. Sure. So Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like badass just standing next to one, to be honest with you. Yeah. Let alone sitting in one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like put, busting out the Top Gun, you saw, you know, Danger yes. Zone, and like Kenny Loggins. Yeah. I just read somewhere, though, that in the Top Gun school, if you quote that movie, oh, you're d- not $5 good. fine. Oh, yeah. And now they're coming out with Top Gun 2 or whatever. Are you excited yeah. for it? I don't know. I, I watched the second, I watched the first one again. I thought it was so dumb. I couldn't believe You mean you didn't love the first volleyball scene? Yeah, I liked it. But then after I watched it again, I'm like, this is kind of dumb. It really like, is cheesy. It's, it's cheesy, it's yeah. It's a very cheesy yeah. movie. There's a, it's weird, man. There's a lot, a lot of, of cheesy, good parts in it, though. cheesy yeah. military movies. And then there's a lot of like really powerful. Mm-hmm. Me as a, a viewer and never being in the military makes me cringe and I'll filled with anxiety just watching it. Yeah. Uh, do you stay away from movies like that? Can you can you handle seeing stuff like that? Like Hacksaw Ridge or something like that? Would no. you ever be able to watch that? Not, not yet. I'm getting more, I think I'm getting closer to watching that. I really haven't watched anything, you know, since my uh, 2006, seven tour when I was in Baghdad. But um, I, I've watched the movies before and I can kind of still watch them, but still they hit me pretty hard. So, yeah. you know, like we were soldiers. Like There's you know, some realism in there. Especially when, you know, they're coming to... To let the family know that they're, oh, yeah. you know, that one really hits me hard. So absolutely, yeah. You got uh, you have any good pictures of you and your brothers in your dress uniforms together? You no, actually, no. No, you no. guys never did. You never got that photo op. I don't think so. Like he got out, uh, and then I was still in. So I didn't bring my uniform from California to bring it back to Wisconsin. And then, you know, by the time that I got out, he already started growing a little bit more. So he couldn't fit into his. And it's vice versa. Now I can't fit into mine. There's no way. (laughs) I mean, it's funny because you're not a big guy at all. Like, you're not even close to a big guy. So I can't imagine how small you actually were. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't. I've seen photos, but like. I was rocking 170. Yeah. Yeah. What are you now? You can't. 230. Really? Yeah. You don't look too. 30 man yeah like i i hope oh. i don't know if that makes you feel better i'm like a brick you don't you know, look 230 like, at all yeah, solid uh okay so you had one month of uh deployment over to pakistan yeah, for yeah. training that wraps up you come back to california again yeah so i got back in march of 06 uh and then we were, there was another um there was a, an opportunity to sign up. Uh, it was an all-volunteer all force that we ended up signing up online. So we were able to do uh, 365. It was a new thing uh, where we were going to be going into Baghdad, uh, again, trying to teach the police on how to be police officers in Baghdad, Iraq, right? So we signed up. I signed up for this 365-day tour. I ended up getting selected for it. Uh, and then that's when, you know, I, I was seeing a girl at the time. I ended up... Uh, 
you know, we went to training and then this training, we went to Colleen. Uh, so we were at Fort Hood, Texas, right? So it's a Colleen is just North Fort Hood. Okay. And we were there for three months doing training. Now, when I was telling you we did training before, when we were in like Red Flag and, you know, in Florida and the different places that this training was more, was a lot more in depth. Uh, we did a lot of convoy, a lot of security, a lot of close quarter combat stuff. So we're going in, going into buildings, clearing the buildings, uh, a lot of movements, you know, uh, where we're, you know, moving as a squad and then we're doing, you know, fire for effect. We're doing bounding movements. There's so many different things that we were learning and doing. Um in these three months leading up so we could be prepared when we did get in country. Uh, and again, all that training we did when we got there, it was, it was, it was so real, you know, it was, you know, going outside the wire for the first time, you know, as my first deployment, I never left the wire. Sure. You know, and then our first and second, well, Pakistan was what it was, but you know, getting into Baghdad, you know, you do this thing, it's called left seat, right seat. And right prior to us getting there, we had, um, we had one of our guys that got shot and snipered, so it was part of the guys that we were replacing. Uh, literally, when we just got there, they ended up, you know, Chavez ended up getting sniped. So um, it was, we're going outside the wire now, you know, and it's like it's hitting us. And we're yeah. like, oh, what are we going to do? You know, we have to perform as a squad. We don't know who's all going to react and how we're going to react to said situations when they happen. Um, and do you freeze, flight or flight, you know, um, or you know, or freeze, you know, and some of the guys freeze. So we had to get them off of our squad and got, put them in doing different details. So I was a gunner, uh, on my first tour. Um, but again, the first time going outside the wire, you're, you know, you got to go down, you do, um, and you go through your op order prior to going outside. So you do your, you go through, they'll tell you about the mission, you know, what you're going to be doing, where you're going to be going, the routes that you're going to be taking a commo, you know, what, what, what unit or what uh, frequencies you're going to be on, uh, what landowners we're going to be passing through, uh, what to do in case of, you know, contact, uh, what happens if we get a vehicle, one of our vehicles blows up, you know, you know, Charlie comes up, Delta provides security, your security, Alpha provides front security. We call in the landowners, come in, get out. Are we going to do a nine line, which is like a medevac? Or are we going to do a cash run as a vehicle operational? Uh, so many things. That's a things. long list of stuff, right. And man. then we got to, like, as we're rolling onto the wire, we got to cover our areas of, of where we're going. So, like, for me, I was, most, most of the time I was in uh, Bravo truck. So, again, Alpha truck faces more more forward. I would face more 12 to 6, roughly, in that area. So that's all to the right side of the vehicle. And then Charlie vehicle would then, their gunner would be covering to the left, the opposite. So opposite side. Okay. And then as we come up into traffic circles, we got to get a little bit closer. So we're like 25, we're about 25 yards away from each other. And we're rolling, like when we first got there, we we're only rolling at like, you know, 20 miles an hour, you know, and as we got better and we progressed, you know, we were up to like 30, 40 miles an hour. And we would just go through, you know, looking at what's what, figuring out if that's a trash bag, if that's an ID, if that's, you know, somebody who's, who's firing at us, what do we do? Do we fire back? You know, do we, do we button up and keep pushing? Um, and, that we haven't even, you know, it's all those things that we, we get into. And then we get to the station, right? Right. So then we're at the, we're our mission, right? So we're at our mission, and then we got to teach the Iraqi police on how to do their jobs. And we're out in, like, in the middle of Baghdad, right, where you're hearing bombs go off and, you know, sapphire, small arms fire happening somewhere in the distance. Um, and we got to teach these guys on how to do their jobs. While you're training these guys, obviously they've got no training in policing at all. You're starting from scratch with most of these guys, oh, or yeah. are these guys that have been working with other other units already? So when we got there in 06, 07, they've been doing a little bit of training prior. Um, with that, it wasn't a lot of training because we're still trying to get them up to speed uh, and then trying to set up a place for them to have a police department, right? So they got to have, so then we got to set up HESCOs, um, 
T-wall barriers on the, the police departments, uh, ensure that they're safe where they're at so they can train there. Uh, we got to recruit all these members. So we're going to recruit new members. They got to go through the background checks, got to go through the training, uh, see if they're physically fit to do it. You know, those are all parts of the things that kind of led up to doing this, the police transition team. Uh, and we did, you know, the good thing is, you know, we did it for three months. We started doing it for three months and we were there for the year, right? We got selected to do PSD. So the colonel needed a PSD unit and our unit got selected. So we were taking out the colonel everywhere he needed to go. Where was personal security detail? Okay. So then that took us away from training the Iraqi police and getting him to where he needed to go to take care of his troops. So I'm his gunner um, and I'm also the the squadron RTO. So I got to get, like when I say RTO, I'm the radio transmitting operator, right? So I'm okay. in charge of all of our communications for our vehicle. So every every week I got to go do fill in the morning. But every, every mission day, I got to go and load the radios to make sure they're on time so that we can communicate with the rest of the AO, the area of operation, with the whole, like wherever we're going through. Now with that, that takes a lot. All of our radios need to be within three seconds of GPS so we can communicate with one another. And we have our fills in there in ComSec. So if we're off by more than three seconds, we're not going to be able to talk to our land owners. So if we're going through there and we can't get in touch with them, that's not good. That's got to be, did you felt the pressure here, I'm right. assuming. Yeah. So again, that's just another added thing that I had to do while being the gunner. And then while, you know, just being there and present for my guys and for, for our brothers. So... So when you were, uh, that was how you finished as personal security detail there? You did not go back to the training of the officers? That was kind of how you finished out that tour was personal security? Yeah, well, we kind of went back at the end to doing the police transition teams kind of thing, and we fell back in with our squadron. With the whole time that we were doing the battalion PSD, um, it was great because we, our vehicles never got lent out to any of our other brother companies or any of our other uh, individuals that needed them in our squadron. Um, so our vehicles would always run well because we would PMCS them. We would, you know, make sure they're up, they're, they're getting taken care of because there are our vehicles that we're using every single day and we need to make sure that they're operational. And our people weren't getting tasked to use for brother companies as well or, you know, those individuals. Because I was on, I was on 3-3 three, three, and then again, there's, you know, we have 1-1, one, 1-2, one, 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 and then 2-2, two, 2-1, two, 2-2, two, 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 And with those, there's 13 people to each of those squads. Okay. So, and then we made up a company, right? So then, you know, we didn't have to give anybody else up for that. So that was that was nice when we were doing the PSD. But then at the end, we went back to doing like the support for our our company, for our well, guys. Let me ask this about dealing with the when you were training with the, the, the Iraqi police officers. How was the communication for that? handled because I assume that the, the their understanding of, of English is broken as well as your understanding I'm sure of most Arabic or, Arabic Farsi or, or you yeah. know it, yeah it can't be easy to communicate was there translators there the whole time yeah we had a personal terp that was with us so we had a terp uh, that would be with our our squad every time so we pick up our terp in the morning take them out with us and go on mission and then if something happened bring our terp with us so that they could go ahead and uh, communicate with the individuals that we're doing training with or we're helping with during that day. That was how you spent your whole third uh, deployment was either doing the personal security detail or training the Iraqi soldiers, right? Uh, um, police officers. Yeah, we were driving all over, like Fallujah, Ramadi, Taji, Mamadia, Yosafia, all over like Sunni Triangle area. A lot of a lot of miles around the vehicles. So wow, a lot of different things happening. So and that comes to an end. It's back to California. Yeah. And then uh, that's when, you know, I, I started to struggle a lot with, uh, with where I was um, in my relationship. Uh, I saw a lot of things, um, you know, did a lot of things and, you know, had a lot of, you know, there was guilt there too. And, 
I, I didn't know how to deal with it. So I, I dealt with it myself because if I was going to go in and say, hey, I got a problem, I got something wrong with me, I need to talk to someone, they're going to pull my weapon away from me right. and I'm not going to be able to do my mission or my job and then I'm going to get discharged out of the military. Yeah. And that's something that I didn't want to have happen. You know, I want to be able to do my job. I don't want to be looked at as weak. You know, I'm strong. I can get through anything. You know, that's what the military teaches you. You know, asking for help is weak. You don't do that. No. You know, so that mentality then drags along with us for the rest of our lives, right? Until we can man up, right? Or whatever and get some help. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to, to actually ask for help. And when you do, I'm, for me, it, it took a lot, you know, but it was after I was out of the military and after my fourth deployment. You said you dealt with it yourself. So this third, after this third deployment, what, cause I would never recommend anybody deals with something that's so painful to deal with on their own, but how did you cope by yourself? And at that point, what, did you just keep pushing it down? Well, I had a, I was married. I got married right before I left on my third deployment. Um, and then I had a significant other that was there for me and, um, you know, getting home, uh, and then I killed her cat right away. I didn't, I mean, I didn't kill her cat on purpose or anything, oh. but like I let it outside and literally the first day I got home, I let the cat out and it got ran over. Oh. By car. So there was another thing, right? But again, then I was trying to figure out how do I figure out where do I fit in, you know, and. I, dealing with all those things I was telling you, um, where do I get the help or what do I do to better myself? And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I would eat a lot. I started to put on weight. I had surgery on my shoulder. Um, my relationship was straining. I was drinking more. Um, yeah, I was coping with alcohol. Just, you know, alienating myself, keeping myself in the home, uh, not Probably, doing much. Probably, it sounds like doing the things that you least want to do in that situation. Right. And, and I just did that for a while. And then I'm like, I got to change. Something's got to change. Uh, and then I, I volunteered for deployment in 2009, uh, in the beginning of 2009, to go to Afghanistan. Okay. And that's when, uh, like, it was really rocky for my wife and I at the time. And I deployed, and then she ended up having some extra affairs with someone else. And, uh, you know, it it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I, I wish that I would have, like, you know, prior to the deployment, you know, got the help and then we would have been possibly would have been fine. Sure. You know, but again, that's things you look back at and it is what it is. How long was that last deployment to uh, Afghanistan? Uh, not right around nine months again. Nine so, months. Yeah. And then when you came back, you decided it's time I, I figure this out. Yeah. Enough's enough. Like I'm sick and tired of deploying. You know, I got a little under th or right around three years deployments and then my relationship ended up getting divorced with her. So, um, got back, um, and then I got out and then I went in the reserves right away. So I went Air Force Reserves and I ended up joining the 934th Airlift Wing out of uh, Minneapolis. So I joined them for four years, but I didn't, you know, it was, it was a, quite a change going from active duty, then going there. And then they're trying to tell me how it should be done. Ah, <laughs> and that, I'm like, yo. That's got to be a bit strange. <laughs> oh, it was so tough because I got other people trying to say, hey, Ken, this is how, or, you know, Corey, this is how it's done. This is what you do. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like just sitting there. I'm like, I, you know, I just spent six and a half years active duty and you guys have what, how many days of active duty? Like none. Okay. And you're trying to tell me how this is supposed to be done. Wow. So I got to sit back and then we, we do a uniform inspection and then like, they're like, holy crap, Corey. I'm like, cause I'm like, I'm like stacked. I'm like, I got a nice stack of ribbons, you know? So <laughs> it's like, they're like, oh, you got more ribbons than like master sergeant, senior. Like, I'm like, yeah, I've deployed a lot. I did a lot of things. Yeah. You six know? And a half years. Yeah. Are you okay with what some of the ribbons are? What, well, what I combat are? action badge. I got uh, Army Accommodation Medal, you know, NATO medals, um, 
you know, Iraq, Afghanistan medals, uh, you know, nothing like, you know, Army Air Force achievement, uh, short term, long term, just a bunch of different ones. So sure. But that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, and you earned them. And, yeah. and that's neat. And I think those guys probably respected the hell out of you because of it. They know what you what you did. Right. And, you know, I get I get flack from some of my fellow uh, Marines and soldiers. And I'm like, is that one for like tying your shoes? Right. Or <laughs> and I'm like, how did you know? Like, I love that you guys give each other crap. But in the end, it's a brotherhood, whether you were a Marine or an airman or a seaman, a whatever seaman, the yeah, case, yeah. whatever the case may be. I, I feel like I love that there is some crap given. But, you know, in the end, you're, you're all family. Oh, yeah. And my Marines, for I'll tell you, you know, being the commander of the VFW in town, my Marines do by like a lot. And I'm so I'm proud of all my guys. So. That's very cool. So, um. You come back after that last deployment, and it's time to join the the reserves. You yep. do that for four years. When did you officially retire? Officially done. I was I officially officially it was January 2014. Um, but I'd say it was a little bit prior to that because I some drill days. You know, I kind of got out of drill, so I kind of went to IRR, inactive ready reserve, for a couple of years there. So, well, while you were doing this, were you? Were going, you at, I was going were to you school seeking help that you had talked about getting at that point when you were in the reserves were you were you talking with people at finally I started towards the end of it but I I started seeing this girl her name is Allie and she really was my she's my savior I'll tell you that right now she's definitely saved my life and you know as I was getting home from my last deployment, I, you know, I started to do these things where I was drinking again, drinking all the time. I was getting in fights. Um, I was alienating myself from my family. I was alienating myself from my friends. I was doing everything that's destructive. It's so funny to hear you say you were getting in fights because yeah. everything I've ever seen with you is that you're the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> and I just don't picture you randomly fighting with people. But, you know, yeah. obviously this was a different time in your life from when I've since I've known you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just it's weird to hear that. I, yeah. I would never suspect that. And every time I see you, you're smiling and having a good time. I would never suspect that you had been dealing with any of this stuff that clearly you have dealt with and right. you continue to help other uh, men and women who served mm-hmm. deal with it. It's, it's crazy, I think, what people see and what people actually are. Right. What I see of you is not what you actually are. Yeah. And it, you took a lot of work to get you to the point where I see you the way I do. You know, it definitely, you know, we put these things on and we're called masks, right? Yeah. So, you know, some of the times I wish that my PTSD and or my trauma that I had experiences on the outside so everybody could see, you know, and that we all, all of us, I think we all struggle with something and we, we all put this mask on to, I guess, really hide what is really going on with inside of us. And we don't talk enough about it. And I know that's for sure. That's a lot of us out there are dealing with something well, one way I or another. I mentioned you off the air, you know, I can't even put into words the paranoia that I would feel having been, if I was an active duty soldier where you're constantly looking over your shoulder mm-hmm. and you're always wondering about the person walking towards you or, you know, whatever the case may be, there's there, I feel like my paranoia would be so high. I don't know if you ever get rid of that. Do you, do you find yourself in a place sometimes where you're walking and you start to wonder, does your brain go that way? Or did it go that way before you started to talk to somebody? Did you ever have that thought like, all the time. That paranoia feeling? Oh, yeah, all the time. 
going on to school in Milwaukee, it was more prevalent than it was when I was going to school in Marinette, small campus. Uh, now we go down to Milwaukee, it's a larger campus, so it's going to UWM and a lot more people. So you're always on edge. You're like, who's this guy? What's my exits? What can I do if something were to happen? You know, Jesus. again, you're like, there's a window there. I could bust the door out. You know, what can I do to, you know, prop that doors from opening? You know, how do I secure and make everybody safe if something were to happen? And you're always on guard because you're always thinking like, this could be an enemy. You got to know it. You can't have your back to anybody. So you're always you know, at a vantage point where you can see everything. I still have, I, I struggle with having my back to the door because I don't know who's behind me and I want to know what's wrong, like what's going on. My buddy I mentioned earlier who had done uh, service in, in two different branches of the military, he, uh, we used to go to concerts and he had a hard time at concerts unless there was a wall behind him. Right. There always had to be a wall behind him. So we always sat with our backs up to the wall because he didn't want people behind him and we totally respected that and he always had earplugs with him too yeah. because... You know, concerts, uh, sometimes they bring in the pyrotechnics and stuff, and, and they're loud. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're loud. I don't know how much yeah. of a concert guy you are, but... Yeah, for me, again, you know, I deal with it different ways. You know, for yeah. me, I, I didn't do a lot of things before, and if I did do them, I was drinking. Sure. And that's a good way to get over having the paranoia or the whatever else, because it lowers your guard. It drops your guard down. Gotcha. Um, but then it brings other emotions out. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, and then that's where that fighting part comes out for... Ken here <laughs> it's it's just it's so weird to hear you say that man I yeah. just don't picture it yeah um let's talk a little bit about what you do now because yeah. you have a pretty significant job mm -hmm. um you seem to be in a good place now you're positively I can see it rubbing <laughs> off on the men and women that are around you who have served it's crazy yeah you know I see it in in the videos you post in the photos you put up I can see that everybody looks like they're having a good time and I bet a good chunk of that is because of you so let's talk about what you do now yeah so you know after I got done with uh you know dealing with my my problems with uh some of the PTSD and going to counseling and trauma and all that. I, I myself was, I struggled for a long time and I didn't want to see that happen to anyone else. Right. So I figured out what, what can I do to help others? Right. Or what can I do to make it so that others don't go down the same path that I did? And that's when I really, really got involved with, you know, the student veterans on campus at UW Green Bay uh, is when I really started to, to give and give back and, and to, to realize what my calling was going towards. Um, so I noticed that we didn't have a lounge on campus at UW Green Bay. So I dedicated a whole semester to get us a veteran lounge on campus. Right. So I did. I went contacted all these universities, see how they got their lounges going, what research they did, what surveys, you know, things along those lines, what works best on campuses. You know, we're, we're all different, you know, and that's where, like, again, I eventually we ended up getting a lounge on campus. And so the veteran lounge, is that is that so it's a quieter atmosphere for you to be able to decompress? I wouldn't say it's a quieter atmosphere. No, huh? no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot of like-minded individuals that are okay. having a good time to be able to talk about things that we can't talk with all the other students or the kiddos on campus. Right. And we're in there, and we're like, it's a great. I'll just say it's a great experience. If you haven't been in a student veteran lounge and you're a veteran, go to your student veteran lounge because okay. you're gonna hang it a lot of. Uh, it's gonna be nice. Okay. Because a lot of camaraderie around there, and then you can find somebody like-minded like yourself. It's good. I feel yeah. like you got to have that like-mindedness in, in yeah. the world that you're living in now coming back from being overseas and yeah. you and I I think we can connect on one level we'll yeah. never connect on on that other level 
And I, I know you have to have that in your life. You have right. to have that connection. Yeah. So for sure. And the thing, you know, that's how I continue to do it with the v, the VFW and stuff and these other veteran organizations, disabled American veterans and the desert vets and different groups. But that's when I, so again, I created the Veterans Lounge on campus and then um, I ended up graduating at UW-Green Bay and then I went into working for the uh, Department of Workforce Development. So I ended up helping veterans get jobs, employment, working with the resumes, cover letters, um, re, uh, you know, going through interview techniques, you know, different things, figuring out what they wanted to do. And then uh, I got my job where I am now. So now I work for the Department of Veteran Affairs through the state of Wisconsin, helping vets connect to resources, more of a, a navigator. And then again, for those that need treatment, I help them get the treatment that they need, uh, which is, you know, maybe whether they need to go to alcohol, you know, maybe rehab or wherever it is to get some tools so that they can be successful here in the community. So that was that. And, you know, that's where I'm at right now. But what really, I guess, what really made me go other ways was uh, the fact that I enjoyed doing other things that were outside of veterans because I was getting burnt out doing right. strictly all veteran stuff, right? So then what, I was like, figure, what can I do to help, like, give back in other ways outside of the veteran stuff? So then I joined Big Brother Big Sister program. And then I got Charlie, you know, and now I just I just met with Charlie yesterday, right? And, I mean, this is, like, five years ago when I first met Charlie. But, uh, you know, I got to – I talked with him yesterday – and uh, he's going to go in there. He wants to be a Marine. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he was talking to me. He's like, oh, I'm going to go in the reserves and do this and that. You I'm like, should show him your medal from the Air Force <laughs> for tying your shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's he's a good kid. So he's uh, he, he was talking about going to the reserves. And I was talking to him. I'm like, so, you know, there's no real benefits. And, I, I, you know, I kind of like laid it out to him, you know, what the difference between active and reserves were. And it was a good conversation that we had. So then now he can go talk to his recruiter. Sure. Um, but now, you know, like with that, you know, the big brother, big sister was a big step for me. And it was opening my eyes to other things outside of the veteran community and then going towards the Alzheimer's Association and then, you know, doing stuff with, you know, whether it's, you know, MS or, you know, multiple sclerosis or, or working with, you know, all these different groups, you know, now with NAMI, Brown County, uh, there's, it's so rewarding to help others. You're very um, community driven. Oh yeah. And that's so cool, man. Yeah. Um, on the military end of it, the VFW, one thing that you told me that I thought was cool that you were working on was trying to get the younger guys oh, involved yeah. with the yeah. VFW. And it's funny you say that because I, I think about VFW and I instantly think Vietnam, I think World War II guys, and I think Korean War. Those are the guys I think of yeah. with the VFW. I've never really thought about even the, the Gulf War. I, right. I haven't even really thought about the guys in the golf war being involved in it. Yeah. Um, but that was one of your goals was to to get younger guys involved with the VFW. That's cool. How's that been going? Going great, actually. So uh, I'm super excited to say that, you know, we get, we're getting, you know, 20 to 20, 25 guys in a meeting and girls, you know, so it's uh, the cool thing is we started off with, you know, having five guys at the table. This is about seven years ago or so. And uh, they're there at the table and there's seven guys or five guys sitting there. And I'm, I walk in, they're like, well, you know, I'm enjoying the post, you know, and then it kept on being five guys showing up to meetings. And then they were talking about folding. And I'm like, well, what if we do this? What if we go and, um, and what if I invite all my friends that, you know, can come in and we'll pay life memberships for them. So they're like, well, let's do it. So then I came to the next meeting. I got 10 guys, all their jaws, the five guys jaws dropped to the floor and like, Oh my God, like we got new members. So then it like that sparked it. And then now, like, again, like I was telling you, we got 20 and 25 guys that are showing up and it's great because these guys now are, you know, we're, we're multiplying, we're getting bigger again. We're starting to grow. Um, and one of my favorite moments was uh, about like three weeks ago, we had a picnic Right. And we used to be, all be single guys in the post. Right. Most of us all single guys, no families. Now we're starting to get families. Uh. Right. So we had our picnic 
and the, some of the family members brought their kiddos, right? So the kids are then now playing with each other, and I'm like, I almost had a tear in my eye because I was so proud and like to see where you we're coming. Be. Yeah, it's awesome. Because oh, the You're kids are this full together. circle yeah. change. Yeah, and it's nice. It's great because we're doing a lot more things in the community now. We're we're actually looking at partnering up with uh, the big uh, big brother, big sister, and we're looking at doing a, a laser tag with veterans. So the oh, little kiddos playing with a laser tag with vets. <laughs> I like it, man. I like it. Yeah, I I love that you're bringing a freshness to that, yeah. you know? Um, Cause I think about, I, I think about when I was growing up, I remember being in all the VFW halls and you walk along the the line, the wall with all the photos of the mm. members. And I remember it was all world war two guys. Yeah. And you know, I, most of the world war two guys aren't around anymore. You know, they're, they're in their late nineties. Yeah. That's weird to think about. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, at that time when I was a kid, there was still a lot of the world war two vets were still around. And, and I, I guess I just never saw photos of guys with other wars. I mean, even Vietnam guys weren't as prevalent in the VFW, you know, photos that I would see as a kid. They just weren't there. So it's kind of cool to see this resurgence going on and and a young guy like you, you know, helping to spearhead that and bring it back. And I couldn't do it alone. I can tell you that. So, you know, I couldn't do it without my my senior vice Galen and my junior Joel and my quartermaster Tristan, Justin, Dominic, like all these guys are doing such great things for us. And I, I, you know, I couldn't do it without them. So, and that's the thing. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like anybody can be successful at anything without a core group of people around Mm -hmm. them. So it's really cool, man. Where could people reach out to you if there's a a veteran in the area that wants to get involved with your VFW? So if they want to reach out, they can reach out to Green Bay VFW at gmail.com. Again, that's just, you know, simple Green Bay VFW at gmail.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Or you can check us out on Facebook, search Green Bay VFW, and then Noble Strabble. Uh, It should pop up 2037. That's our post number. So uh, we're, I mean, you can see all the things we're doing on Facebook. Um, We got a lot of good things going on. it is exciting. You know, it super is, you know, I'm looking at possibly stepping down next year, but we'll see what happens. Uh, do some other things, uh, in my life. But uh, you said that, that's what you said. You yeah. like the change. You like yeah. to do different things. You like to get involved. So right. yeah, I think yeah. it's cool though. You're leaving your mark there, even, you know, depending on what you end up doing, no matter what you've left a mark. And yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And these guys, you guys can find us too. So we're tailgating every single home game at Lambeau in lot one next to Johnsonville tailgate village up in the, like up towards Oneida street there. Like so closest to Johnsonville up by Oneida. We'll have our VFW flag up, our canopy. And then if you're if you want to stop in, we'll get we got free beer. So are you gonna be the guy without the shirt painted green and gold? I will not be that guy this year, no. <laughs> uh <laughs> that guy, that guy in December, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I I was that guy before, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I'm growing so I uh I got to tone down a little bit more, uh, okay. well, you know, yeah. but I'm still going. It's a good time, you know, I'm just saying. So. <laughs> well, uh, Ken, dude, it's been awesome chatting yeah. with you, man. I, I really appreciate that you took the time to come in and talk with us for the Soldier Stories podcast. And, you know, being the, the first non-Army person that's been on here, it's been cool to hear a different perspective to have Air Force represented. And uh, I think you've done a wonderful job representing them. And, and you know, the type of person you are is um, – it's just cool, man. I love it. For sure. I enjoyed being here, and I appreciate what you're doing um, to, to get our, our uh, soldiers and our veterans and our, those that served a uh, chance to come in and talk about, you know, what they're doing and what they've gone through and, you know, to really to, to highlight some of the things that we can do to do better again, you know, maybe help out our veterans that are coming home. You know, it's we're, we all served you guys, so that's the big thing. We all sign on the dotted line, you know, for a check up to including our lives, you know, so payable to the country. You know, 
payable to the United States of America. So, um, you know, I just, I thank all of you guys too for your service and uh, those that support all of us, us veterans. Um, couldn't do it without all of you. And again, you know, one of the big things I, I emphasize with, with the VFW is for my, those World War II veterans and the Korean War veterans and we're, you know, it's, it's that they paved the way so that we can be where we are today. So always remember that and remember that without them, we wouldn't be where we are with the sacrifices that they've given. So again, you know, I'm just, I'm excited that I can still continue to serve and give back.